May I speak to you in the name of the living God who was and is and is to come. I have come to learn that in ministry, there is certain unavoidable terrain. No matter what our form of ministry, lay or ordained, congregational, institutional, or academic, no matter what our level of spiritual maturity, sooner or later, we face the scrutiny of other people. We cannot escape this. We cannot avoid scrutiny by changing churches or transferring to other schools because we'll just find new iterations of the same problem, though perhaps at a different degree. As wondrous as human beings are, we learn very early to engage in harsh forms of criticism. Now, maybe St. Francis avoided scrutiny when he preached to animals, or John Lewis, who famously preached to chickens, but it's likely that even they had opinions on what they heard. <laughs> and this is surely the case in seminary, where students are deeply concerned about what other students and faculty think of them and faculty feel pressured to meet the needs of students and their colleagues. And staff, similarly, are concerned about what their colleagues think of them. William Stringfellow, a theologian I respect very much, says, Christians do not covet anyone's approval or applause. And it's because our hope is in the judgment of God alone. And I find this a beautiful affirmation. I even have it taped on my desk. But I find that rare are the human beings who can float this high on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> we all have our breaking points, especially in a social landscape shaped as much by in-person interactions as by Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the like. Scrutiny shapes our social reality, sometimes even threatening our psychological safety and resulting in physical harm or death. Now, I should say that there are at least two kinds of scrutiny. There is scrutiny that is good, Scrutiny that equips, builds, challenges, clarifies, and helps us grow. Hopefully, you're receiving a great deal of good scrutiny here. It's the sign of a healthy community. But there is also what I call toxic scrutiny. Toxic scrutiny. And this is the kind of scrutiny that shames and tears at the fabric of the human psyche. Where good scrutiny involves drawing near 
for more careful observation, toxic scrutiny stays at a distance, willfully refusing to see. It shoots venomous arrows from afar. And there's a heightened vulnerability to this form of scrutiny for those of us who are in ministry or who are engaged in work that involves sharing your heart. Inevitably, as we bear our light, we face resistance and with it, toxic scrutiny. And that's why I'm drawn to Psalm 62. It's an unanswered prayer by one facing verbal violence. What we have here is a voice turned in on itself in a very guarded kind of prayer. The words are spoken as if to the self rather than directly to God, as if to steal or brace oneself from attack. And I'll read the version from the NRSV and uh, from the BCP. Well, I'll read the version from the BCP. For God alone my soul in silence waits. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, so that I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail me to crush me, all of you together, as if you were a leaning fence, a toppling wall? They seek only to bring me down from my place of honor. Lies are their chief delight. They bless with their lips, but in their hearts they curse. For God alone my soul in silence waits. Truly my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, so that I shall not be shaken. In God is my safety and my honor. God is my strong rock and my refuge. Put your trust in him always, O people. Pour out your hearts before him, for God is our refuge. Now, in studying this passage, I stumbled across an essay written by our own Dean Melody Knowles. And she was asking if women can find in the God prayed to in the Psalms a true hope and refuge, a God of, quote, their particular praise and lament. Psalm 62 stands out as one that articulates a wound that people of any gender can identify with, but perhaps especially women and people of color, given the additional layers of scrutiny we tend to face. Another Hebrew Bible scholar, Brent Strawn, seems to agree, and even uses a female voice in his interpretation of this psalm. 
So our psalmist is consoling herself and seeking divine intervention. She has two competing messages about herself in her mind. The message of her adversaries and the message of her faith. She is, in the words of Walter Brueggemann, a complaining hoper, clinging to her faith in the face of its negation. Clearly, our psalmist is not dealing with one passing remark, but a situation that's been brewing for an extended period. How long will you assail me to crush me? And all of you together. These may be the kind of people who only know how to build intimacy and connection at the expense of others. They isolate someone in order to band together. In any case, they gang up on our psalmist, crushing her soul like a leaning fence or a toppling wall. They seek only to bring down. There is no high motive or misguided desire for civic good here, but an emptiness at the heart. And this is because some people's self-esteem is so withered that an internalized passivity sets in. They only find power in destroying. Lies are their chief delight, meaning they lie easily, without conscience. There's something vicious about this behavior. They smile in her face, but inwardly they curse. Maybe these were people she once called friends. Maybe these were people she once trusted, but can trust no more. The sick thing about betrayal is that it can lead us to doubt ourselves as much as the person who betrayed us. Our psalmist is trying to hold on to her own sense of self-worth. The situation reminds me of a letter that Henry Nowen wrote to his friend Cynthia after she, after she discovered her spouse was having an affair. He says, it seems crucial to me that now more than ever before, you realize deeply that your worth and value does not depend on anyone else. You have to claim your own inner truth. You are a person worth being loved and called to give love not because anyone says so or acts so, but because you are created out of love and live in the embrace of a God who didn't hesitate to send his only son to die for us. The crisis you are living through now is one of the most difficult crises for anyone to have to live through. 
but it can become the moment to claim your own inner value as a person and a woman. Like Cynthia, our psalmist needs divine intervention to claim her self-worth. Now, despite how human this struggle is, the psalmist does not reach for the image of God as father, king, or shepherd. She reaches for God the rock. She reaches for God the rock, the most common metaphor for the divine in the Psalms. There are times in our lives when we cannot turn to another human being. Not a spouse, not a parent, not a friend or a lover. There are times when our, our needs exceed what any human being, no matter how loving, can offer. But unlike human beings, God the Rock can handle whatever we have to say. Anything. Anything. The Rock doesn't grimace or raise its eyebrows and rear back aghast. The Rock is never shocked at how bad it is. So you don't have to manage the rock's perception of you. <laughs> and the rock is very meek and makes space for you to pour out your heart. The rock doesn't interrupt. And the rock is patient. Can I tell you how patient the rock is? <laughs> the rock never has to rush to another meeting. <laughs> you can take your time. The rock likes silence and so probably won't utter more than a word or two, but power emanates from the rock. And you gain energy to face your situation, whatever it may be. And this is because the rock has been around a long time and seen it all. There is no rock like our God. I should add that this is an oddly shaped rock, not at all sleek, and this means God is not a granite countertop, but rugged. You can stand on the rock and feel it bear all the weight of your life. You can sit under it and know yourself protected. You can hide yourself in the folds of the rock and feel yourself strengthened. There is no rock like our God. A few years ago, I had an experience of deep humiliation. Now, the details really don't matter in the end, and I don't want to relive them. <laughs> but the point is, I absorbed 
some toxic scrutiny. It was in me like an ejection of battery acid. And it was corroding my mind and my heart. I was so devastated that I wondered whether I ought to continue in ministry or do something totally different, like interior design or... <laughs> and that's the real danger of toxic scrutiny. It tempts us to stop risking, stop exploring, and in the worst cases, to hide altogether. We can even develop skills in the art of retreating. Retreating through perfectionism, a classic way to avoid showing up. Retreating through people-pleasing, another strategy to avoid showing up. We retreat from pouring out our gifts in the community, withholding our voices, and withholding our creativity and refusing the work God calls us to do. This means we are robbed of joy and robbed of the gift of being known for who we are. And when I think back to my time here as a student, one of my deepest regrets is holding back because of what someone else might say. This is troubling enough on an individual level, but on a grand scale, it is disastrous. What you get is a community of ghosts haunting one another. But we can bear toxic scrutiny without being overcome. We have a model in our psalmist who takes refuge in the rock as insults rain down all around her. At the beginning of her prayer, in the BCP version, she says, For God alone my soul in silence waits. From him comes my salvation as if she is still awaiting divine strength. But she's in a different place later in the psalm, in verse 6. For God alone be silent my soul, truly my hope is in him. That strength has come. We see this again in verses 2 and 7. She starts out by saying, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, so that I shall not be greatly shaken. But she's in a different place later in verse 7. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, so that I shall not be shaken. We don't know whether her adversaries are still hurling insults and lies at this point. All we know is that somehow the process of pouring out her soul has yielded supernatural strength. 
she has gained strength to tell others about the goodness of God. And this is because prayer builds us up on the inside and roots us in our identity as God's children. And I've learned this lesson from some of the African-American women in my grandmother's generation. They had little to protect themselves from the epithets that were hurled on them in the white world. But their inner resources were legion. They knew in their marrow who they were. And the difference was prayer. But we also have a model in the man, Jesus. He too was insulted, jeered, lied about, isolated and betrayed. Jesus absorbed the full measure of human scorn. The malice he bore took him beyond the reach of his mother and his friends. But he found refuge in the rock. Luke tells us that after the malicious folk had done all they could do and taken his life, a righteous man, Joseph of Arimathea, took the lifeless body of Jesus and placed it in a rock-hewn tomb. That tomb became a place of miracle, a place of new life, and a place of glory. The maligned one emerged from that rock-hewn tomb with the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Jesus emerged from that rock-hewn tomb with the power to rename and restore people like us who have been maligned. He calls us beloved, brilliant, beautiful, sibling. He calls us radiant, anointed, forgiven, precious. He calls us talented, creative, astonishing, worthy, and his names for us keep emerging as we grow and as we risk. He calls us brave, faithful, trustworthy, and true. He calls us cherished. These names never change, expire, or wear out. There is even an unspeakable name reserved for each of us in glory, a sign of God's loving scrutiny. And for that, let us bless the Lord. <laughs>